Talk Raw. My name is Nikki Marie Dawn, and I'm with my co-host, the lovely Terry Ellen. This show is about our lived experiences being transgender women, the experiences of others, resource information, the current issues we face, along with a host of special guests sharing their knowledge and skill sets with our community. Do you have a story or information to share with the community? Like to be on our show? Get in touch at transtalkraw.com. Like to live chat? It's available on iHeartRadio right now. And now, let's get started with today's show. Are you confused? Not sure where to turn for help or advice in regards to gender transition? Have you started your transition and need help moving forward? Nikki Marie Dawn is a highly trained clinical and gender therapist, master life coach, and mentor supporting individuals, couples, and families dealing with the challenges of being transgender. She will customize a plan to fit your personal needs, helping you in all facets of your transition. Visit her site at transgenderlifecoaching.com for more information. Sometimes, I sometimes wonder if we don't know what we're doing, uh, but I think most of the time we know what the fuck we're doing. I don't know. We'll just swing it. Yeah, again. well, yeah. Right. Okay. No, no, no. So, there you go. And you're recording. There it is. Oh, oh shit. Was I recording again? <laughs> Bloody hell, Terry. You and I have to get this together. I need to pay attention like... to the little red line up in the corner as oh. I'm effing this and effing that. I know, but it's that. It's like a light bulb that sits on the top of your head, right? You know, and that's, it kind of goes off, and then it's already on, and you don't realize it, and then you're saying all of these aggressive things. Yeah, I've been glancing up there, just waiting for you to, like, pop it, and, and then I didn't, and there it was. So. so I guess we should just start talking about what the actual topic is tonight, which is... Oh, yeah, we have a topic. <laughs> we have a topic, actually, yeah. Well, I think, and that's something that um, I mentioned in the video on Facebook today. Um, I think you did, yeah, and I called just a snippet of it as I was at work. Snippet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I heard my heart talking was like, about, about me. <laughs> yes, I'm always talking about you. But anyway, we're um, we're talking about dysphoria tonight. And Indeed, we are. Yeah, we are. We're going to talk about dysphoria, uh, dealing with uh, dysphoria, all of the different types of things that you can potentially do to help you get through dysphoria. Or at How least try to manage it, it, you know, to manage it through transition, because that's a big one, is just trying to manage it. That's, that's the ultimate manager, is transition. Well, that's the ultimate manager, yeah. There's no Physical, question. societal, hormonally, legally, physically. Yeah. And there are many different kinds of transition, and, you know, one doesn't all have to do all of them. No, that's true. And then, of course, because multiple people are... Um, going through different stages of transition. So some people might, you know, not decide to go on, uh, you know, hormones. They might decide that they just want to classify themselves as trans, be still presenting, you know, there's a, a wide variety of things. But anyway, so why don't we get started on the actual topic itself as to actually how we see dysphoria and our definitions of it as to how it affected us. So from that side, um, you know, myself personally, again, that started back in childhood. Um, I knew way back when that I was having problems. There was no question. I would look at my body. I would know right away that there was something wrong. 
Um, you know, and I, I would say that was like somewhat young, not all the way back to like six and seven. At that point in time, I didn't even have gone through puberty. I didn't even really know what was going on and that. But, you know, when I look back at it now, it was very, very obvious that there were so many things that were causing dysphoria. And even with oh, me even really knowing or understanding what the actual word meant, I was suffering. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't that, what the hell was this? What's going on? I don't remember when I first read the term dysphoria. I don't even remember if I saw that term back in the 70s at all. It wasn't something that would have been predominant, that's for sure. It would have been the only place you would have ever found that is if you were actually looking through it from books and stuff, if you started to do any reading or that sort of thing. But even when I can remember um, reading about, you know, back then, obviously, transsexual, that. Oh, yeah, that the word transsexual that was the word I, there was never the i don't big words yeah but i don't ever remember having that connection of dysphoria with that word right they, they i don't ever really remember yeah really. I, I you know i remember reading the definition of transsexual very clearly and it really just resonating with me as that that's what i was um it just like really rang true that that is indeed what I was. The whole, you know, being unhappy in the body you have and wanting to change it to the point to even having surgery uh, to be that of the other sex. That's transsexual. I'm a transsexual, pure and simple. Um, you know, not the true scum thing is, and a lot of times it's uh, equalized with these days, but the old definition of transsexual, that, that is me. I'm the old classical transsexual. That's what I've done uh, with hormones and surgeries. I've done exactly that. So, yeah, I am a transsexual. I just don't use that term uh, because of the offense some people take. In it. Oh, yeah, and a lot of people do. Yeah, when, you know, that fit me and still does. I still you know, we'll claim that terminology for myself as to what I am, a transsexual under the transgender broader definition umbrella. Uh, the unhappiness, you know, with one's physical body and it not fitting one's mental um, image of yourself, so to speak, whether that be a visual thing, a spiritual thing, uh, you know, it covers on many different levels that I do really didn't consider back then, but I do now, both you know, spiritual, emotional, mentally, all that uh, comes under it very much yeah. so. Yeah, because I mean, the other thing too, when you're growing up, uh, it's very much a cultural thing, you know, because in our culture, when we grow up and we feel that we see one side of society being something. And yet we see ourselves as something completely different that really skews a lot of stuff in the brain and not oh, understanding. Always have to fit in on the male side of things and the male bonding and the male talk and the male roles and all that. And so not wanting it and the dissonance that that creates, which is also a dysphoria. It's not just physical dysphoria of your unhappiness with your actual manifestation of your body. Correct. There's that too. 
And not not every trans person has that. You know, there are plenty of trans women who are perfectly okay with their male genitalia. Um, I was not. That was one of the things that really bothered the heck out of me when I went through puberty is that. Yes. Um, I remember really wanting to have a vagina and not understanding why the hell I did. Yeah, you know, I just knew I did. I didn't want that. I wanted the other. Mm-hmm. And my penis, I wanted a vagina. Yes. And I couldn't tell you why I wanted that. It's just like this was not right. What mm-hmm. I had was not right. Yeah. Well, and like I mentioned before in one of the other shows that we had done on dysphoria, the way I, you know, and I was quite young, I still wasn't quite into puberty, just playing in the in mom and dad's bedroom and putting a hand in the mattress and, oh, what's this? Oh, here's a magazine. And like, <laughs> and, uh, you know, seeing a guy and a girl on the center page all spread out and, you know, doing their thing. And I'm looking and the first thing in my mind was, oh, that's me right there. And then I looked and I went, oh, oh shit. This is not good. And then I think at that age point, that's when I really figured out. And that's where dysphoria started for me. Because up until that point, I was just innocent. You didn't know. It, it was yeah, like, I had no idea you know, what was supposed to be right? there. Because it was that puberty yeah. part that kicked into play that really started to focus on the dysphoria and what is dysphoria. And when that's the whole disconnect when it starts to come up, it was the same thing. I'm, I'm sitting there, I remember going into puberty, and, and I think the worst, one of the very most vivid things that I remember about being having dysphoria was getting my first heart on uh, in puberty. And it was like, and I can remember, it was like, I, I remember like jumping up out of the bed and staring down and going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and it was horrifying. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I can remember. And, and, and I, I, it, was, it was something that has stayed with me right up until today in that image and that feeling. And that's where dysphoria started for me. And it was the physical dysphoria that really hit me hard and then starting to grow up from that point going through the school all of that having to then okay it, it this what i'm i'm thinking and how i feel is like not culturally acceptable at that time because everything at that point well obviously cisgender males and heterosexuals had the you know the authority over cisgender females at that time i mean sexual orientation, gender identities. I mean, everything was transphobic at that point. At least that's what I found, because even when I was at that age... When you talk of gender identities at all back then, that wasn't right. The only only stuff I knew of it was what I had read and found out for myself. There was no talk of that school or health classes or anything like that. You know, I didn't even even hear the term gay uh, until I was, I don't know, 14 was the first time junior high school eighth grade something like that yeah i didn't even know what gay meant you know i was asked if i was gay and that's like i'm happy i mean what do you mean yeah. <laughs> and of course they just howled and laughter at me because they didn't even know what it was but uh, uh yeah it's like what do you mean I'm gay well, and gay being, uh, even back then, uh, we're talking like the 60s and, you know, the early part of the 70s, being gay was illegal. Yeah. Homosexual. You know, homosexual. Correct. You know. You know. Um, 
So even trying to put a name queer that I that I knew and I, you know knew queer was said with such disdain. Oh. Yeah. And disgust. That word, which I don't I don't identify as queer because of that, how that word was used in my youth. Mm-hmm. Um just has way too much negative connotation for me. I don't have an issue if other people want to use it, but I don't. No. Yeah. And I mean it was at some point, I guess, and I'm trying to figure out where it actually clicked as actually to be able to put a name to it as being dysphoria. Like actually the whole definition of the word queer is wrong. Something is. out of helter queer. That's queer. You know, yeah. that's just not that, right. That's queer. Exactly. And exactly. so, you know, how that word was applied to people, mm-hmm. gays, you're not right. You're a queer boy. That kind of thing. Oh yeah, I remember those words. Not directed at me but directed at others and i you know i knew the intent i understood what it was and why and all that back then i didn't connotate it would be gay at the time you know because it really didn't hear that word used or that came later the understanding of what the two were together mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the thing too is when we talk about dysphoria, obviously back then that was it was a little bit different. But now when we start to move forward and progress through the decades, um, the understanding of terminologies, uh, you know, the social stigma that was is attached to it, um, mm-hmm. you know, at points and places was the the illegalities and stuff like that that um, are formed because of that, um, or you know, maybe possibly. You know, at that point, too, there was not really a whole bunch of information even about medical transition and what the potential possibilities could be. So in the 70s and the 80s, it was a real exploration of trying to figure out and sort out things as to what actually dysphoria was, where how you would even start to approach. Well, now that I have dysphoria, what do I do that I have dysphoria? Because now it's the big question is, okay, now, you know, in this day and age, there's lots of, you've got the internet, you've got lots of stuff and resources out there. But back then, that was almost impossible to have. There was nothing like that. So it was very groundbreaking to be able to find any type of information at all. Well, I mean, it, it was it was there. I mean, when I was, was there in the 70s, I understood about hormones. And I understood about social transition and surgeries. I had that, that understanding. I didn't necessarily equate it with the dysphoria, it was, it was more along the lines of, well, you know, I feel that, you know, I'm a woman. And so to get to be a woman, one has to do the hormones, one has to have the surgery and, and transition. And that's, that's how it's done. You know, to actually be in a transsexual, trans meaning to go from one place to another, sexual being you know, gender that you're moving from one gender to another, and that's the term transsexual, or even transgender, you know, moving from one gender to another, or even to a non-gender for non-binary people. Um, you know, you start somewhere, you go somewhere else. The whole term is that of going from one spot to another, whether that's in your body or your social or, um, you know, however you want to describe that transition that movement 
it is a trans transport of Star Trek. You're moving from the ship to the planet's surface. You get on the transporter. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I was younger and a teenager, I would have loved to have had a transporter. It was just, you know, you would transport as a guy and show up on the planet as a woman. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that I think all of us had those dreams and hopes and prayers, actually. I think. Oh, uh, yeah. There was, there was yeah. uh, actually a, a, a story in the Star Trek fan fiction that was, that was basically written just like that. Um, that uh, there was a, a planet with that technology and it would take all the people off the ship and it changed everybody's sex. Right. That and, was, oh, yeah. That. I read that avidly. <laughs> Had it memorized. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And even there's an episode of the old original Star Trek series where Kirk uh, body, uh, mind and soul is uh, switched uh, with a female doctor because she couldn't advance in her career because she was a woman. And so she switched with Kirk with this alien technology and put him in her body. And, you know, that was, that was a, that was a very cool episode too. When I was young, you know, anything like that, I was really, really captured my attention, whether it be science fiction or, or, you know, a movie or film or anything like that. I kind of, that was very attentive to that kind of thing, you know, because yeah, for me, dysphoria was, you know, changing the body, being in a, in a girl body, mm-hmm. uh, changing my body to, to fit that being what I needed to be whole. Uh, but there was also the dysphoria, the social dysphoria of always having to present as a guy, always to play a guy, always that dissonance of, of, of playing a role that you just did not want to be playing. There was that dysphoria, and the hormonal dysphoria of, of having the testosterone and not having the hormones that your, your brain was craving. Uh, and really wasn't aware of that until I had estrogen. Yeah. You know, there are some dysphorias you're not aware of them until they're gone. Well, no, and that's that's a big one too, obviously. So you know? yeah. So when we talk about, you know, the different coping mechanisms, so we look at like, you know, what people will do or not do. So some people are going to be obviously held that they can't afford um, facial surgeries or they can't afford, you know, medical transition um, and that. So obviously, you know, they need ways of addressing dysphoria that, you know, helps them be closer with, you know, with radical loving relationships with ourselves and not maybe moving forward. So if we prioritize emotional self-care when we start to talk about dysphoria and that, so, you know, we can tackle gender dysphoria first and foremost by providing self-care for your, our emotions. And Well, you know, you get into the aspect that some people describe being transgender as kind of like having anorexia. Mm-hmm. That, you know, someone with anorexia envisions themselves to be fat all the time. That When they see themselves, they see them as a very fat person, and so therefore want to diet, exercise to an extreme to be as thin as possible. And there are some people who equate being transgender like that. 
Yeah. And that that's a difficult situation because you'll never get past that a certain point. So, you know, we look at it too. And I can remember as when I was during a lot of time in my life, you know, um, I would get into these deep pits of knowing that you can't transition. You know, you're fighting it like crazy. You don't want to come out to your wife. You don't want to break up marriages or girlfriend, you know, break up with girlfriends, or you don't want to come out to family and that sort of thing. And it gets just to be ground pounding that where it it's really enveloped you. You know, some of the things that I did, um, you know, and it sounds kind of funny too, and people will, you know, probably potentially laugh for that, but it, these are outlets for things that people can do that can't medically transition, that still have to take this, the beast, as I call it, head on. You know, music is one thing I think that is something that can really help stimulate the mind, try to pull things off. One of the things I do, put in the headphones, blast the music, try to get myself moving in a different direction, you know. But that's still a form of escapism. It is, but when you don't have the option to be able to do a lot of the stuff that, say, for example, you and I have been very fortunate to do, um, and we've been able to True, do that. but, you know, didn't do that until much later in life. I had to spend my 20, my, you know, good bit of my teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, trying to mitigate, do things that... Um, would bring it down, subjugate it, okay. mitigate it, reduce it. Wearing a beard. I mean, you think that would be one of the most dysphoric things to do. You know, these days they call it denial beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a guy, male, you know, male to female, transgender person. Having a beard helped a lot, weirdly. That, uh, one, it was always a representation in the mirror that you were a guy. If you have a beard, you're a guy. If you have a beard, you're a guy. So there was that constant affirmation in the mirror of what you were. Weirdly enough, it worked. And I got the idea from uh, Renee Richards' uh, biography, Second Sir. She talked about that. Uh, that yeah, one of her therapists yeah. told her, well, to you know, try growing your beard and see what that does. And she said it just did wonders for her mm-hmm. and was able to, you know, go on with life. And it, it drove uh, thoughts of Renee out of, out of her mind. And so I did that. I did that for a long time and it helped a lot. One, you know, I couldn't dress and, and go out. It kept that at bay. There were a lot of things it, it helped on, which is weird why it would do that. It didn't erase it. Does it, it didn't make it just go away, but it helped to be able to manage it, to control it, and keep it at a level that didn't um, wreck my day-to-day life. It's not that my dysphoria would not come out at times. Because I still had to dress like every six months. I had to dress every six months to, to function. Mm-hmm. You so if I didn't, it would get bad. It would get really bad. Yeah. Because it seems that you were able to control it a lot better than I was because I had to escape all the time. Um, I really, it was very, very painful for me to not be who I really needed to be. You know, I mentioned before, um, going, uh, dressing all the time. I Mm -hmm. had to dress all the time. If I didn't dress all the time, I would have gone absolutely berserk. 
And I did a lot of that in my younger days. I, like I had mentioned, I went to my high school promise a woman, Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah. and that was, a, you know, an incredible time being able to meet a couple of girls. And, you know, if you're listening right now, I really thank you for what you did. <laughs> you know, a couple of sisters. Yeah, well, I had nothing like that. There, there, was, there was no way in hell that would even happen to occur during cheap yeah. former fashion. Yeah. area i grew up in or even uh, in the girls i knew at the time uh but yeah I, I you know when i was a teenager that was i had two really bad times of dysphoria and that was like teenage years and then later in my 40s they they really you know i almost came like full circle sort of thing um it was bad yeah you know if i had and i think you know meeting the girl that became my wife had a lot to do with me being able to ratchet it down, so to speak, and, and do that for her. As many of us do, you know, I didn't, I didn't look at getting married as, as fixing me or curing me or anything like that. I never did. I never did look at it like that, but it certainly gave me strength to push it down, repress yeah. more than I was able to do before. Yeah, and that kind of grounded you, so that was good for you. For me, mm-hmm. um, I got married because, well, I love women. I love guys too, because obviously I went both ways. I can remember lots of times in my life that, you know, even in high school, which was like taboo, um, you know, had a one person on the football team that found out and, you know, basically would always say, well, if we go to bed, uh, you say anything, I will kill you instantly on the spot. And I ran on fear on that side of it. But that really, no, shit. No, no, but, no. but in terms yeah. too, to be honest, in some ways, that helped my dysphoria. Because it made me feel like I and, and it wasn't, I never ever classified myself as gay. Okay, I class myself, I'm a woman, and I should be with a guy. And that basically helped me be able to control some of the things. So I was grateful for those types of things. The other ones too, when I did get married, yeah, there is that sense like you had gone through for grounding, as I'll call it, that it brought you some, some being grounded and you could kind of live through that. But mm-hmm. it never failed. I couldn't, I, you know, literally when I think about this, I could not dress, I, if I did not dress in a week, I would go absolutely crazy. I would. It was, that was what gave me the relief. Even if I had to wake up at like 4.35 o'clock in the morning, throw a dress on, do whatever, get into my box. I had boxes hidden downstairs. I had all of that sort of stuff going on. Many people have done that. That's that purge cycle that we've talked about in the past, all of that, you know, and you, you, you have that dysphoric situation. You have that little private hidden thing. So, when we Bag of clothes somewhere. That, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure everybody that listens to us right now has gone through that experience or does that right now. Oh yeah, which it's is a very common theme with us. Yeah, but it is something that helps control the dysphoria in right. some manner. Well, we can have it. It's like our stash of drugs. I mean, exactly. it's great. That's, that's pretty much what it is. I go downstairs. I get my fix for a few my hours, fix. and I come back up and I do it. And I know that's not maybe the right way to do it, but you know that yeah, is that's most most akin thing the most analogous thing that it is because yeah in a way it is a fix for us 
it allows us to be us for a while, mm-hmm. even though it's 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 a very weak facsimile thereof. But for us, it helps. It helps us to cope, to have those few moments of wearing those clothes. It's not a high. It's not a fetish. It's not any of that. It's just a feeling of of being complete for a while. Mm-hmm. And the clothes, it's you know, I. I told other people it's like well you know you're going to pretend to be a fireman you want to put on a fire suit well okay we want to put on the uniform of the team we want to play on and that's the girl team this is what girls wear yeah if it was in india it would be a different set of clothes if the culture and you would wear the clothes of what women you know if you're you're male to female then you want to wear what the women are wearing you want to fit in. You want to assimilate. You want to be like that. You want to be seen as that. You want to see yourself that way in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that's what gives us that, and it it reduces our dysphoria. It's a great stress releaser for us, and it calms us down and gives us the ability to function. Have you? Did you? So I'm curious to know um, and. I don't know, you know, a lot of people will have this or whatever, but what about triggers? Did you find that there were any actual triggers that or things that would happen that created a quick onset of dysphoria and really kind of slammed you? Do you you remember any types of triggers? And because the reason why I bring that up is that did you ever set boundaries trying to avoid certain triggers that might have popped up as you had progressed through life? Oh, anytime I had the house to myself was always a trigger to dress. Okay. Whenever yeah. whenever I had the house to myself, which yeah. is like growing up or even in marriage or whatever, if I knew I was going to have the house to myself for sufficient time, hours or whatever, then yeah, that was a huge trigger for me to dress. It would bring all the dysphoria boiling up. Yeah. You know, I don't know why, but it, that's always, yeah. And it just was. If my wife was around, parents were around, I could very nice and mm. pressure cooker, you know, good stamp down and everything. Everybody leave. Yeah, and I can remember. And it, would actually, just come, it would just come roaring out. You yeah, know? I can remember actually knowing when somebody was going to be leaving the house and I would be going to work. And then I would say, Oh, I have something to do at the doctor's office. I'll be gone a couple hours. I would like race home, you know, Mm -hmm. and have that opportunity to be able to just have that time to myself and be able to do dressing and that sort of thing. So, you know, but other people, I guess, and I've talked to other individuals as well that where they actually have trigger points. So they'll be watching some certain type of show and it'll be a big trigger or they'll, they'll, you know, they'll see something. So I know some people that have said where, um, you know, even individuals that go to Vegas, for example, and then they see a really wicked show, you've got all of the the beautiful outfits, all of that. Those can be trigger points, you know? Oh, yeah, going shopping. Another big Uh, one. Yeah, the women's section could be a trigger Lingerie would be a trigger. Yeah. Makeup counter would be a trigger. Mm-hmm. I avoided those. 
Okay, so those are your boundaries that you would set, is so that you. Oh yeah, I just would would go in there, would go there, would uh, skirt around those areas, you know, going shopping or whatever. Um, yeah, those are triggers. Never thought of it before, but yeah. Well, when you think about it, then that's one thing that I think that a lot of people have to realize is that they could be just doing something in their regular day. And then all of a sudden they run into something and it's a trigger point. But how many people actually think those as trigger points? And that is something that when we talk about dysphoria and trying to at least manage it, what are these things that you can stop doing so that it won't give you those trigger points to throw you into this adverse reaction and effect that says, oh, God, you know, this is absolutely horrible. And it could throw you into a depressionary state. It could do so many things so quickly so, you know, that's why I was... But I also think that there's a lot of us who have built-in avoidance for all these triggers. And we are aware that things are triggers and we do avoid them, whether we're consciously aware of doing it or not. Because I mean, I would avoid those things. I wasn't really thinking trigger that wasn't in my head or conscious thought, you know, triggers that is something that has come later in time um, to be triggered by something. I didn't think about it back then. I would now because I'm aware of the terminology and the definition, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But back then, I avoided it because it would make me uncomfortable. Okay. Because it was like, for me, it was like watching Bugs Bunny when they bring out the big, huge 10,000-pound <laughs> magnet. And it's in the lingerie store and I'm walking by and it was like, I swear it was like I was magnetized and I couldn't like, it was so, so different. Yeah. I always felt like I was a pervert. Just, oh, just, you know, the, oh, no, no, I can't go there because my mind went automatically. Go, I would love to wear that. Oh, it would, you know, I was probably the only, one of the only guys I would go with both my wives and they would go, Oh, I've got to do some lingerie shopping. You can go do this. And I would go, but, but, but can I come with you? <laughs> you know, and that again, I mean, obviously, um, I would. I, mean, I, would, I, would, I, would I really didn't want that. to. My, my wife was going to do it, like, I wouldn't even bring it up and like suggest I go with there. None, none of that. I could, could never ever give a hint of, you know, what I was, truly was. Oh, no, shit, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. I got to- I never, never, never bought my wife entree, never, never did any of that. Yeah, and that was the big trigger. So, I mean, so obviously for people that are listening, that's one of the things that, you know, I wanted to bring up was that trigger thing because like you had said, you weren't even really aware of it back then, you know, and so people that are going through it now. But I would have avoided points, you know. Because of the discomfort it would cause me. Yeah. Of the desire for it, you know, and thinking that was bad, that was wrong, it's mm-hmm. a sin, blah, 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 all, all these things that, programmed in with my Christian upbringing, you know, that was just wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we kind of touched, we kind of touched on, you know, the, the triggers and that some of the things that we've kind of already mentioned too was, you know, we had the, the wonderful little, uh, you know, hiding box down in the basement with clothes and stuff. And we got that opportunity. So obviously that, that is a big helper on the dysphoria side of it. 
you know, the other, the other things for maybe not so much for yourself, but for myself, one of the things that I found was always really good was, is that, you know, um, and again, it would depend on whose freedom and what kind of freedom you have with your wife or family or whatever. But, you know, obviously being able to, um, you know, assert yourself so that, you know, you can assert your identity in some way. So, you know, maybe there's a club that you can go to, you know, like, because uh, a lot of people start out as well, or not so much start out, but use cross-dressing, obviously. And that's a, a form that we talk about that we, you know, um, you know, there are a lot of individuals out there that uh, maybe aren't going to transition fully, but the cross-dressing side of it and everything comes into it. We've talked about that kind of, and having that ability to be able to, you know, do makeup and maybe do some contouring or something or find out, uh, you know, clubs or something like that where you could go to. Um, those are some areas too as well that it's definitely going to help the dysphoria level. But as much as what we talk oh, about yeah. today, um, you know, being able to find those services or going and get made over the makeup place, there are places that cater to us mm-hmm. eggs, you know, early on when you might consider yourself just a, I'm just a cross dresser. I don't really want to be a woman. I just enjoy dressing up as one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and there are people exactly like that. Uh, in my experience in my life, most of those people eventually turn out to be trans. I'm saying yeah. the majority of them do at some point. Um, but certainly in today's age and the internet and whatnot, one is able to find these clubs and these services and these makeovers and whatnot. You and I growing up and, and our youth Finding such a thing was just nigh on impossible, at least for me, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no no way of knowing about clubs or anything like that. And oh my God, think of going somewhere and having a makeover. Yeah, no, that was never. <laughs> well, you know, we, we talk even about though I would have loved doing it, there was no way in hell that yeah. could happen. Yeah, well, we, we talk about this and, you know, of course, we're, um, you know, we've lived in decades that... Uh, didn't have that much. A lot of the new, you know, even uh, when we talk about it today, though, um, you know, some of the people that I've talked to, clients, groups, that sort of thing, um, you know, they're already married. They've got kids. And yet they are, you know, in their 30s. Okay. And when we look at these kinds of individuals, they are sitting in the modern world as it stands. You know, what can we advise to them in order to be able to do, to be able to handle their dysphoric situations? Um, You know, so there are these things nowadays that you can do makeup artists that are willing to work with uh, individuals that are trans. Um, You know, I think even nowadays too, that even if you can do that, one of the things that I think would be very, very helpful too, is just hearing being uh, asserting your proper pronouns. So if you get that opportunity to be able to get out and even have somebody say an assertive pronoun towards you or that, that how much that is going to go towards, you know, that help of dysphoria. But, you know, the one thing... But also, it, there's downside. Of yeah, and I was just going to talk about this. So you and I are both reading each other's minds because as much <laughs> as we say that we can come up with a bunch of things and we're going to go through more too of what you can do. But in one way, yes, it helps resolve some of the dysphoria, but yet in turn, I really look at it and I don't like to focus it on as by saying it's like a drug, but it's more of a need that 
you do this. And when you come out of this, you almost go into a depressionary state because you have to come out of it. And now you have to go back to your, you know, whatever situation you're in. So then that just, in, you know, draws yeah. you more. Once you start letting the girl out of the bottle, the genie out of the bottle, oh, it's putting her back in is damn difficult to do and becomes and can actually increase your stress level, increase your dysphoria because you've had a taste, you know, of what it is like to be you. You've seen how you can look. You see how you can feel and you get to taste you know, the forbidden fruit, so to speak. And it is intoxicating to be you. It is damn hard to suddenly go, oh, fuck. I like being me. And why in the hell can I be me? Why the hell do I have to go back to being that? guy that i have to do every monday morning and die just the hell with this yeah that's that's it you know you get relief and you get that and it's a joy and all that but you've got to know and understand that popping that top it's hard to put the top back on it is very hard to, to, hard to put the top back on you know i when I'm dealing with clients and that I get some clients that are, like I said, in their thirties, um, they have kids. They want, obviously, because they are, you know, they love their kids. They love their wives. They love the whole situation. They don't, you know, and it comes to an agreement. Say, we'll say that the husband and wife comes to an agreement and says, okay, you know, we realize that you're like this, but we have to say, stay together for the kids. All right. So it's really, really important that, you know, one of the things that I found in more and more of the individuals that I work with, honesty is probably the best policy. You know, if you do have to come out, it's, you know, and you're forced to that, okay, um, that where you have to come out and you have yeah, to say And most of us are forced to that. that right. When we come out, yeah. it's got to the point where we have to tell somebody. Right. Yeah. And so if you do break that bubble, I mean, that's where now you have to either negotiate with the, the couple have to negotiate between each other as to what would be the best sort of a scenario for kids, for the certain maybe other circumstances that they might be involved in. So some of it's going to be geographical, too. There's lots of places in the world that you can't even go outside or you're going to get a bullet in your head. But no, I mean, there, there are so many mitigating factors, dangers risks and all that sort of thing and then just each individual's threshold of what they can handle and what they can't yeah yeah because we all transition basically when we have to i think whatever point in time in that life for each individual person is that is when it occurs uh, for especially those of us who transition later in life, and that is basically beyond teenage or, or being in your 20s, when you've got marriage and you've got a job and you've got a career and you've got responsibilities and you've got all these things that come with adult life and living for a period of time, it becomes much more difficult to do. 
and the holding back and the denial and the resisting and the desisting. And uh, it becomes a mantra with us to keep it all stable. Don't blow up our lives. We got wives, we got children. We got to keep it together for them as men. You know, that's our responsibility to take care of the family and home. So, yeah, that's a very huge responsibility. And I think a lot of us feel that, trained for that as men growing up. But it's all still there, our dysphoria, the need to be us authentically. And at some point, it all boils over. And whatever that point is, differs for all of us. Yeah, it's going to explode and it's going to blow up. Um, And the thing is, it's just going to really depend when that occurs or happens. Um, You know, obviously, there are varying degrees of, you know, dysphoria. Um, You know, I think for myself, I was way worse off than even, you know, you were. It's not a case of this if this is a competition. It's just a case of what you were capable of handling mentally. What yeah, I was... I handled it very well for a very long period of time. Yeah. And like, for me, I couldn't do it. I I blew apart so many times in my life. It was ridiculous. And I mean, that's why I had, uh, shall we say a much more colorful life, uh, in all of the things that I went through. Um, but, 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 but that's the thing. I mean, when we talk about this, it's going to be varying degrees and varying individuals and, and it's going to be, you know, there's no, one it, one way to do this there's no one certain way that everybody can do this and it's going to work out or not you know whatever um and so all of these things that we discuss and talk about people can pick out pieces that they feel that they may it might fit into their certain criteria or what they feel might work for them so a lot of this stuff when we talk about this it is uh, another thing that I wanted to, you know, bring up too, because there's things as well that can really, really help, you know, even with like breast, you know, forms. Um, it was funny that you sent me a link today in regards to these types of actual yeah, the face masks, the, mask, the latex mask, yeah, put on, which is a full female mask. That's um, why I did it. There, there's and there's lots too that uh, that are out there, you know, that if you get the opportunity to be able to present, they have like. Um, full, you know, you can put on a female mask, and if that's not something that that is going to be appropriate, I mean, you can still get prosthetics for the full chest that looks very, very natural nowadays. And of course, the mask, the link to the mask I sent you was face and breast and breast all in one piece, like a breastplate, and it was like face, shoulders, and then had the boobs, and uh, they, they looked really good, you know. I was surprised uh, when you sent the link and I started to look at them because I was like, holy crap. The, you know, uh, it's not like the old days where you would look at something and it looked like, no. oh my gosh, right? Nowadays, you take a look at right. it and you're like, damn, that's like, you could Bare wear a to a club and outside of the fact of sweating your ass off wearing it, you would look pretty damn good. You would look really damn good and be able to change you know? your hair makeup and on that and the skin and be able to move your mouth and blink and everything and, and have blink facial and experience and yeah, it's like oh my god yeah yeah so i could very, I, I mean in some ways that's a double-edged sword because it's like yeah i can i can i can just play and i can get to look like a girl and that will be okay and that will you know as a lot of us bargain with ourselves and doing what we do and we're like if i can just do this then that that's good I won't, I won't want any more. That will be enough. 
And then we do that, and you're like, fuck, that's not enough. <laughs> well, you know, some of the not, other, you know, for other people. I don't want to look like that. I don't want just the mask. How do I like, oh, feminization surgery. Yeah. You know, well, you start going down that rabbit hole. That is the rabbit hole, right? And yeah. I mean, when we talk about that, so again, as much as the, it can help you with your dysphoria, it could also put, you know, the pedal to the metal and go, hey, you know, I've got to start doing this. Right. So, you know, it, it I can boil you over. It can, yeah. really, it just can. Yeah. And a lot of things too, like, you know, when we do talk about this, um, I think, you know, and again, it's going to depend on where your sexuality is as well. Um, and then how you see yourself and how you want to uh, be involved with individuals. Um, but hormones obviously are a big factor to this for you. Um, you know, uh, and they can really help with and they can because it kills that they male poison. Quiet it. They can give you some relief. They can give you some peace mentally, reduce your stress. Uh, hormones can, can really be amazing things on a mental oh. point of view, you know, not just the physical transformation that occurs with them. Um, but mental and the mental thing can occur very quickly, much more quickly than the physical changes for sure. I think the mental actually kicks in very fast. Um, mm -hmm. I can remember, you know, that for six weeks, all of a sudden I went from, well, I was an emotional you know, person before it's just that the hormones really kick that up a notch. But while we're on the topic of hormones too, one of the other factors that people can understand and realize this is that, that say, for example, you don't have the ability to go to your family doctor to get hormones, we'll say, and because you're afraid of either the doctor saying something to wives or all of that, oh, yeah. you know, we also have, there's also that opportunity too of, to using naturals. And give, giving some of the same effects that would be through a taste. It will give you a taste. It gives you a taste, but like it also gives you some milk thistle, fenugreek, red clover, black cohosh, um, purifica, mirifica. Yeah, not exactly. That's one of the more potent phytoestrogens. Um, I tried it. It gave me an intense intestinal distress. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, um, yeah, yeah, those things can yeah. actually cause and create intestinal issues yes. and problems. There's yep. lots of, like, side effects that can happen by those natural products because yep. of all of the other ingredients that are potentially in those. Um, so it's not... Right. It's you never know. You don't, there's no real good standard with supplements um, from one brand to the next. Um, I tried some of them for diabetic reasons. Uh, they also happen to be phytoestrogens. So there was like a yes. win -win. Um, <laughs> yeah. I found them to be not effective on the diabetic side, even though some studies did show them that can could be. Um, I didn't get any of that. I did find the only one uh, as far as phytoestrogens go that I, I actually had an effect from and and noticed it um, was fenugreek, uh, which is also used to enhance lactation in nursing women. Yeah. Uh, it will make your nipples about twice as sensitive as they already are. If you want to experience nipple sensitivity, yeah. fenugreek <laughs> will do that. Um, it doesn't do much more than that. Uh, it will increase your breast size a, a little bit. 
Uh, but it quickly goes away once you stop. It's not a permanent change, but it will give you a taste. Mm-hmm. I found milk thistle, oddly enough, uh-huh. uh, to be, and I took it primarily for its possible diabetic uh, benefits to help with the diabetes. Uh, I didn't expect really any estrogenic effects on me at all, even though it, it, it was listed as vital. And I found it to be the most effects, like skin. Mm-hmm. Yep, yes. And my wife noticed it, that it made the skin on the top of my thighs really change, really soft. I didn't, and that occurred fairly quickly. I did not expect that at all. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was uh, of interest, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was all. That's all I experienced. All the others weren't worth it. Weren't really were worth it. No, I know uh, most yeah. of them I had tried at some point. They didn't really work at all. Um, and mm-hmm. I found that I was probably having more side effects from them than what I was actually hoping oh, yeah. to gain and, out of. And spending a whole lot more money on them than you would. And just exactly. But, it is, but again, for you know people that are looking to try to control dysphoria and that and don't have the ability mm-hmm. to what go to the doctor, there is that, yeah, for a taste. Um, or to okay. even get, because I know I've known um, people that I've worked with that have been on naturals for two years. And they found that, you know, obviously uh, a lot more emotional, gave them the ability to feel it, like you say, a taste of it, uh, or even just control some of the um, hatred of the testosterone, you know, being able to control and being very, you know, outlandish and all of the things that you, I found that testosterone would just lead you down a path. And, you know, it was just like, the hell am I doing? You know, and finding and asking that question. And I think, you know, so that that definitely helps in that regard. So another one that I was wondering, too, on when we talk about, you know, all of this uh, and, you know, obviously with um, dysphoria, you, you can look at it that we're OK, you're going to do go from. Uh, using hormones and facial surgeries and then, you know, going through the whole gamut of everything like we have, obviously our dysphoria has pretty much gone by the wayside. Uh, I know mine. So oh, yeah. It's, it's rare not, that I have any at all. Yeah. You know, and but that's going the full gamut. But, you know, some of the other things that yeah, you know, more full I, I found I, anyway, um, and um, others do too, and I wanted to bring this part of it, was expressing your sexuality. So, um, like I had... Yeah, I know. But from what I had stated, like, for so, for example, and I know you're kind of looking at me weird here about this, but, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's fine. Uh, but as you know, I am bisexual. So, and I had already mentioned one thing that where I felt very comfortable being with a guy because that made me feel more like a woman. So this right. is what I'm getting at from a sexuality perspective that where it wasn't so much that I was gay, I do still classify myself as bisexual, but I don't, cl- I've never classified myself as gay. But one of the things that I, I found was like even anal penetration, any of those types of things gave me and made me feel like relief because at least then I'm looking down there and I'm going, well, shit, I don't have the right parts, but I can still experience it. In a different fashion. Right. right. And, 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 and to be honest, seriously, that got me through a lot even from a masturbation perspective or that, you know, um, having that ability to be able to just kind of dress and have that sexuality, either it be masturbation or whatever the case may be. But that gave a lot of satisfaction in regards to controlling that dysphoria because obviously being able to express that way, 
made me feel much more comfortable as to who I was and what I was sure. about. And it did bring me to that point of feeling a lot more feminine. So, um, you know, it, it did help me on, you know, those different types of sexual encounters in that regard, um, you know, for that, um, you know, but sex can also get triggering too. So you have to be careful on that as well. Um, yeah. On, as much as on the yeah. flip side, you know, either one of those types of things, uh, you know, either the anal sex or whatever it might be, either from a masturbation perspective, or if you're fortunate enough that you can share it with a partner or whatever the case may be, I found that to be very, very helpful controlling some of my dysphoria and what I had gone through um, from decades. And I'll be honest, it was, it was pretty much decades and that's what kind of got me through. So there is that option that, you know, um, you know, that radical self-love is really what I would classify it as. Um, in, in, yeah. In I mean, regard. that comes with a lot of risks as, as well. Oh yes. Yeah. Having multiple partners, STDs and, and all that sort of thing. One has to be careful. Needs to be yeah. careful. Well, and that's uh, why doing and doing that, you know. Yeah. And and again, I mean, um, I was very, very fortunate. Um, I've never had a sexual disease in my life or anything like that. So I was very, very lucky. But I think where my big outlet was was more from a masturbation perspective than it was with going out and having a lot of multiple partners and getting into all of that sort of stuff. Because obviously, you know, when we take a look at it, we had the, you know, HIV and AIDS crisis going through the times that we were growing up. Of course, now it's not as quite as a significant thing in this day and age. It's still out there. There's lots of transmittable diseases. So yeah, you've got to definitely be very, very cautious when we talk about sexuality and that sort of thing. Um, if you need to express that way in order to be able to help for your dysphoria um, and that side. So I just wanted to bring yeah. that sexual sexuality side of it up because there is that option for a lot of people that it could be potentially out there. Yes, yes. Anal anal sex, either with a person or with toys or uh, any other phallic instrument, <laughs> uh, can 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 give you the feeling of being a woman and being penetrated and, and that sort of thing. And and I have played around with that as well. I never wanted to be with a guy um, as a guy. Having male genitalia always negated that for me, period. Um, Having fantasies of being with a guy was always as a woman, always. Never never as a gay guy at all. That just was not going to happen. Just could not go there at all. Right. But now I got to be as a woman. That's the way all fantasies were. If I was ever with a guy, it was always of that uh, type of being a woman with a guy and never as a guy at all. So um, I've only had one sexual partner in my whole life, and that was that was my wife. I lost my virginity to her, and uh, I have yet to have another one. So I sort of feel like I have virginity 2.0 nowadays <laughs> you know I had virginity 1.0 uh being the guy virginity and now having become an anatomically correct woman i feel like i'm a virgin all over again weirdly enough mm-hmm. uh, okay and and so you know that's so that's that kind of that sexuality side of it you know another thing that i want to touch base on because People, and, and there's a lot of stigma in mental illness. And one of the things that 
um, you know, deal, being as a therapist, I deal with a whole bunch of different individuals. So one of the things that I found is, is that some of the mental illnesses that come along, and I, first I want to express one very, very important factor here. Um, being a gender therapist um, and being a therapist and a clinical therapist as well, um, I do not believe you need a therapist if you're transgender. You don't need that to because you're transgender. I want to make that very, very clear before I start going into the segment of the area that I want to talk about now, because it's not that you're you're transgender that you need a therapist. A lot of times why you just need a therapist is because you need to talk to somebody or there might be other extenuating circumstances uh, in your situation. For example, some types of mental illness. There are people out there that have some mental illness you know, uh, or have certain situations that they go through, like ADHD. There's lots of things that can actually, um, you know, raise the dysphoric feelings in an individual uh, to quite a high. Um, so uh, some of the things, uh, you know, that you have to do is like coping mechanisms for, you know, a lot of the negative potential feelings that you are going to get from dysphoria and what can you do and how, how are those associated with it. So with mental illnesses and that sort of thing, and if you are transgender and you do have, um, you know, those, you have to look at different ways of being able to cope. So some of the things that uh, are potentially, um, you know, obviously, Going and seeing somebody that can, you know, have and give you medication in order to be able to help you for whatever potential mental illness is going to obviously be a big factor in you controlling your dysphoria because uh, most of the individuals that I've worked with, um, when you have dysphoria, it goes through the roof. And that's where you start to get into some potential suicidal situations, even though people don't maybe don't realize, but dysphoria and that can be you know accentuated because of potential mental illnesses and things that people do go through so i wanted to bring that up really really quick um you know other things too that i uh, actually you know read about studied about in that different types of foods can create and cause issues that way um it's actually quite surprising so um, you know, understanding and regulating your diet, understanding and knowing what's going on with your body, I think is so, so important. Um, and I, I do bring that up. Um, so again, it's not something that's talked about a lot, but I think it's something that needs to be discussed and talked about. And at least people should be aware of it that, uh, you know, other circumstances and situations can create and cause, uh, exponentially on the on the dysphoria side of it. So if you do have something out there, something inside that is creating and causing a problem, and your dysphoria is going through the roof, try to get help for what that potential other issue might be, and it is going to regulate and help you control your dysphoria in that regard. Mm-hmm. So being sound mind, sound body. Uh, the other thing too is wellness wise uh, and health wise. I think it's really really important that you know. Physical activity can help and go a long ways. That's why I became a skier, was that that way I could get out, I could exert myself, I could, you know, do a ton of exercise in a day, um, I could go skiing, I could get my mind off of things. I was able to... Endorphins. Exactly, Endorphins. right? And so exercise help yeah. your mental health a good bit, yes. Yeah, so it, it does help in, in that way. Um, so there's lots of things that you can do. Um, I power walk as well. It was one of the big things and reasons why I took, I did started power walking was even to do weight loss for preparation for surgeries and stuff. But I started trying to lose weight years ago for, you know, a year or so before my, my surgery. Right. 
and just trying to uh, get out there. Uh, be active. You know, there's lots of ways to be active, but if you're finding that you have no way to uh, express yourself with any of the other things that we have discussed, exercise is a great way to try to burn off some of that, you know, throw the headphones in, go for a good long walk, do something like that, just to create something outside of what your your work, you know, you're having to deal with in the sport level. Right, right. You know, um, you know, so, and that's, that's, uh, you know, some of the, the, some of the things that, you know, um, even avoiding certain foods, I was surprised um, with myself because I really worked a lot with diet and nutrition and that I found certain types of foods would actually um, increase my dysphoria, which really? sounds very, very interesting. Uh, but it is something that uh, I found um, that would in, you know, certain foods will, you know, um, pull your um, sexuality up. And if you eat certain types of foods and certain types of things, so something to be aware of as well. Um, yeah, I never had that kind of connection. I never could, never had any kind of connection between my dysphoria or foods or sexuality and food. Or mm-hmm. uh, that would have been actually kind of nice if that's something like that. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I missed that on that little perk. I guess I don't know. <laughs> well, and and the the thing is too is, is that. A lot of the things like this that I'm talking about now, people have no idea that it even exists, but it does. I suggest people do research. I'll probably do another show on this or something along those lines as well, but it's something that I want people to be aware of uh, and that. So, you know, and then, you know, another one, I think that um, a lot of people in our community and, and, you know, being trans in that, um, you and I are both heavily involved in our communities is building community. Um, it's something I oh, think. Oh yeah, support really system, support system. Yeah, very important. And I and I think um, you know if you are having troubles with dysphoria, being able to talk to other individuals, being a part of a community, being able to be a part of even pride parades, any yeah. of that sort of stuff is going to go a yeah. long being, ways to help. Being you. with your community in real life, talking with someone like you. Just been there, done that, or going through it while you're going through it. It's such a huge boon for one's social health, mental health. Just to know that somebody else is there uh, that you can talk to face to face. There is an amazing connection that is made when you get to talk to somebody in real life. I mean, doing it by video call, like we are doing on this little podcast, is. Uh, a wonderful boon as well. Forums, online forums are really great, but there's nothing like face-to-face, real-time with somebody to just do amazing things for your mental health. Well, and it, it helps you get out of an isolation state because I think so many individuals out there get caught up in thinking that they don't really have any place to go. And, you know, uh, I always have to laugh too when I hear people say it, but trans Twitter. I always have to laugh about that, but yet it's very, very true. A lot of individuals oh, yeah, connect, absolutely. and it's something there that when you, you know, you first that's how we met. That's Trans- how we met. I mean, that's how a lot of individuals meet. Um, you know, and that just having that potential for community to find out that wow, I can actually. And and the thing is, some people can't get out in person 
two groups can, can't get out because of whatever reason. Well, over, overcoming fear to do so. They don't feel like they can go because their go is, you know, their birth sex. They can't go as the sex they want to go as. They don't have the uh, capability or the, or the ability or whatever to dress how they want to. And then they're scared of that. They won't be accepted. And that sort of thing. There's many roadblocks to getting out in real life. Yeah. And so that's why community, I think, is so important. Uh, just oh, yeah. being able to, like you say, talk to other individuals. Um, it's great to have Twitter. It's great to have Facebook, the groups, um, everybody out there. So that's another way in order to be able to help dysphoria because just knowing full well that you can be talking to somebody and you can talk about your situation. You can talk and say to people, you know, oh my gosh, you're, you're saying right. all that stuff that I'm living through right now and I never realized, you know. So uh, community, I think, is, is huge. Uh, you know, please reach out to people either in person. There's lots of groups out there too uh, that uh, can help as well. Just, you know, basically, again, just knowing that you're, not alone and that's something you not know, alone that is you know so important for I people think that's one of the first things we do in our transitions is get online and reach out to others to find others like us mm-hmm. to find that we are not alone and to find a friend to find somebody who can help yeah talk to us guide us mentor give advice any number of things mainly just I just don't want to be alone. Surely there's other people like me. Yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. And, you know, the, the reason why I think community is so important too for, for a lot of individuals is when you look, we are a very diverse world. We have a lot of multiculturalism everywhere. But when we look at it, even when we look at Muslims or we look at, you know, a wide array of different cultures, a lot of those cultures will you know, basically shut you down, potentially even murder you because of who you are and what you're about. So online communities are so good that at least you can reach out to individuals, talk to people, and you don't have to worry about the things that potentially might, you know, you might go through if you were to come out in your own country or that and have issues and problems that way. So, you know, very, very a lot of different ways that those individuals, you know, and reading blogs and just researching and, you know, finding out all of the different possible op- options that are out there for you. So that's a good way, you know, and, you know, a cultural connection. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, in relation to our cultures, and I kind of started to talk about that, um, you know, with dysphoria, uh, you know, being able to, you know, even find other individuals in your own culture. There are a lot of groups out there right now that um, I found actually just tripped over a Muslim-based group that is trans, that are all Muslims, um, all young people, uh, you know, younger generation individuals, but their parents would just absolutely go berserk on them if they found out that they were trans. Like, absolutely. Or gay. Or or anything for that so you know those, yeah exactly you know those types of individuals is, it's a very difficult situation for them to even manage this because they don't even get the opportunity in order to be able to express themselves you know or even go out and buy clothing or have a place to hide it or do anything along those lines that's something that where a teenager a trans teenager in the closet is hell 
Oh, it is. It's total hell. Pure hell. Much. I'm sorry. Don't mean to malign being gay or anything, but being trans is the order of magnitude more difficult than being gay. Oh, uh, I. We, yeah, I mean that, that's a hands down thing. It's uh, and I always tell people that um, it's easy to be gay. It's it's a breeze. Oh yeah, I want to trade it in a heartbeat. Gay, just to be gay, really. Now I have to change my name. Now I have to change my wardrobe. Going hormones, all the legality, surgeries, blah 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 blah. Gay people don't do that. You don't have to do that. You're straight John on Friday, and you come in Monday as gay John. Everything else stays in. Right. We come in as straight John on Friday, and then come in as woman joan on monday <laughs> you know we've changed our name we changed our wardrobe we're on hormones we change our bodies and pronouns and it's a it's a tough road it's a tough road well and you know it's funny when we talk about that too um you know individuals that are um potentially thinking about trying to control dysphoria and that that you know i mean we're a very socially marginalized you know full of discrimination just a little bit right um you know so some of the things that i found that you know could be potentially help is like just openly supporting pro-trans politics and that can be very very empowering um you know uh you know getting into activism is another way that you can focus and try and get, you know, knowing full well that you're, you're part of a community, you're stepping up, you're going out there, um, you know, you're being a part of groups. Yeah. You're, and it feels like it uh, gives you some control over things that otherwise feel out of your control to mm-hmm. do some activism uh, because we are so put upon. We are such a target, especially here in the United States of late, especially our trans kids are uh, especially being targeted by numerous Republican legislators across this nation and trying to ban them from playing sports and to ban their medical care, going on puberty blockers and hormones and even therapy to ban this and make these mm. people criminals who want to help them. Yeah. It is a tough road. We oh, it is. And so, you know, it it all goes to help that if you can stand up and start fighting, you know, for the, the political side of it and that too, being an activist. You know, one of the things too that um, we haven't really talked about is like we grow up in a culture where we're meant to be one thing and everything around us says that that's the way we're supposed to be. Well, one of the things that we don't ever really talk about is internalizing those phobias and invalidation. And, you know, those are significant internal conflict and self, you know, estrangement. Uh, it's essential, um, you know, for our well-being uh, to try to deconstruct that oppression that we build up into ourselves because of all of this external that's always continually fired at us. So we almost have to work and deal from the inside out in order to be able to. And that's where that acceptance comes from. It's breaking down those internal barriers that I think is really, really important that also helps from the fact of dysphoria. Because once you start to break down those internal barriers and that, because we beat ourselves up for that all the time. We are our own worst enemies. Exactly. You know, so, you know, discrimination that's internalizing 
puts us at odds and ourselves and obscures the societal courses of our, you know, internal struggles. Um, So it's very, oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, folks, I just had to laugh. Um, It's something's funny going on in the background here, and it's just terrible because we shouldn't be doing this on a podcast, actually, but it's just funny. Um, You know, Terry has a cat that likes to get into a lot of trouble, and he's getting into trouble lately. Um, so anyway, but when we talk about all of this, you know, that internal side of it is something that you have to try to deconstruct on your, your own. You have to work on that. Meditation works out really, really well for that. You know, just being positive and affirmative in yourself and who you are in the belief that it's all right to be transgender. It's not something that's an evil, you know, cross and uh, so many others out there will try to force that down you. But remember, you have to be yourself. You have to, you know, try to deconstruct that shit in your own mind that you are not a bad person, that you are all right, Uh, you know. But again, like I said, we beat ourselves up so much until we finally break that. When we break that bubble, that's when I think you all of a sudden it's like, and I see it happen with clients and I've talked to so many other girls about it and everything else. That's that, that, that true coming out. When you can look internally inside yourself and you're comfortable with who you are and you can move forward, then really you can pretty much handle just about anything that gets thrown at you. And I think you would have to agree with that because that is the point in time when you just go, wow, it, it's like it's this big, huge thing off your shoulders. Now, of course, you're going to have a ton of other potential issues that you have to deal with, but I'm talking about just your yeah, own it's internal. being trans. Right, but in turn, uh, falls away. Once the dysphoria falls away, and you accept yourself for who you are, yeah, that's, that's very true. And it is. It's very much. Um, a, it 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 doesn't totally take away all of the dysphoria, but I believe that once you are self-aware, that dysphoria. Does it does give help to eliminating that dysphoria? So if you can work on, and I guess my big thing is too, is that if you can work on internally, you know, breaking down those internal barriers and those belief structures that you've been heavily inundated with by outside cultures and that sort of thing, I think that's a big factor into making change into controlling dysphoria and how you can do that. So another one too that I I found as well that a lot of people, and it's interesting to talk. Um, about it too is um, having hobbies doing things crafts doing any kind of oh, yeah. other things yeah. that you can get your mind off of the dysphoria outside, of stuff. outside being trans right exactly <laughs> I have a cat yes and, you do have a yeah. cat and that cat uh, is a terrorist sometimes I think for yeah. Paul yeah, doing stuff outside of being trans and not trans-related, just a hobby, a joy, reading a book, uh, or going to see movies, socialize, playing music, an instrument, anything like that. Hobbies that you have in your, you know, that you've had all of your life don't have to stop just because you're transitioning or you're in transitioning or that you're trans. None of that has to go away. Those things can bring a lot of comfort and satisfaction and be of great help to your mental health 
and just your satisfaction with your own life to continue these. Mm-hmm. But it's not about being trans. It's just, you know, trans doesn't have to be your whole life. It doesn't have to be your whole identity. It's just part of who you are. It's like I'm blue-eyed. Being blue-eyed is not who I am. It's just part of who I am. Yeah, so, and that's the great thing too, because I mean, when you take a look at it, I think uh, music is a great one because it, you know, it, it really soothes the savage beast, shall we say, in, in saying that, you know, um, it gets rid of those potential Listening and creating. Listening and creating, exactly. You know, and right. there again, I mean, you know, especially when you're overwhelmed. I mean, I've seen people pick up a guitar when they're just like, and then they start to play and wow, you know, it starts to loosen. This will, there's another thing too that I found that has helped. So there's a lot of these um, apps out there, um, you know, for example, for individuals that have difficulty sleeping, um, that are calming music, are, you know, like, you know, listening to, um, you know, uh, water and all of these types of things. White noise. Exactly. You know, and so if you get the opportunity to be able to do that, meditation is also another way to do this. So if you can put a set of headphones in, you can listen to this type of music, you can kind of do some meditation along with it. And that it goes a long ways in order to be able to take away some of that dysphoric and those emotions that are wrapped up into it uh, that are can be extremely difficult to try to control. It can be very therapeutic. Um, Another one, too, I found I found from another uh, client, uh, love photography taking pictures, just being involved in that photography side of it and getting into that. So, you know, discovering, you know, even beauty and, and that, you know, it can go a long ways. Um, you know, so again, it, there's lots of different ways of trying to soothe gender dysphoria. There's no question. It's just a case of, you know. Like, yeah, one you know, works for I, one individual may not work for another. You have to find what works for you. And it can be a lot of trial and error. I'm trying to figure out what works yeah. for yourself, you know? Yeah. And so, it, it, and again, I think Terry made a really good point when, you know, you brought up the fact of like uh, just arts, crafts, hobbies, you know, any of that really can create some really good gratification. And just to even have those types of things to be able to hang on to can certainly help because, Really, it always seems that being trans is an isol- isolation type thing. You try to isolate yourself from the world. You don't want to express yourself. You're terrified that the rest of the world is going to look at you on like something, you know. Um, and having these types of things to be able to do is definitely going to be an outlet for you to be able to at least have some sort of gratification, some sort of way to express yourself and know full well. I love it that, you know, I think it's so, so important because I think when people transition and and go through transition, they feel like, well, I have to drop all of my hobbies and things that I did before that I didn't like, you know, that I really, really liked because now I feel like I have to, i.e. fit the female persona, which is a crock of shit. I mean, sure it is. Yeah. yeah, Hobbies do not have a gender. Do not. Okay, and that, that that can be anything. That can be that can be skiing. Like shit, if you want to tear down a motor and rebuild a motor, well, go for it. If you're a hot chick, why not? Do you know, uh, there is no yeah. reason why you your have skill, to change. Your skill set 
should not be put in the closet just because you came out of the closet. It, exactly. And that's where, you know, you can, we can start going down the whole equal rights for feminine, you know, being female and all that sort of stuff. We could go down that whole avenue. But the idea is, is don't feel that you, you can't do those types of things. I think if anything, you should be doing those things just as much as you mm-hmm. always did, because I think it's going to be so important exactly. once again, in order to be able to help you control the dysphoric dysphoria and that. So I think that's important. And then, you know, Another one, too, and I've kind of already talked about it, too, because I am a big backcountry skier. I love skiing, you know, connecting with nature, you know, even going for walks, hiking, um, you know, getting out there. Uh, and that I think that can be a really soothing thing to be able to do is just to go out, go for a hike, go walk the beach if you're in a very sunny, warm climate or, you know, go walk the, the pathways in your city. Um, you know, just connect in that regard. You don't have to be, oh, well, I've got to be big this or do this or do that. No, just throw on a slap pair of shoes, go for a walk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be anything organized. It can be just simple walk or hike in the woods or along the beach or in your favorite park or along a shopping venue, uh, outdoor mall of some kind. Just get out and uh, socialize or just be with you and commune with nature yeah. and do wonders. Yeah. And, and another one too, is, is that even if you're, if you're, you know, you're trans, you have all of these feelings and everything association with groups and that can be really, really good. So if there's like a gardening group or something that you want to go to and just do some gardening or something, I mean, that can, that's very much even connecting with nature in that way. Um, you know, so there are lots of different avenues that, you know, uh, that will help there, you know, there's no question. I think we've hit a lot of different things tonight, um, you know, in regards to trying to at least manage dysphoria, um, you know, outside of the norm of that. Well, you just go, you get hormones, you get facial surgery, do this, you do that. Cause like we started at the top of the show by saying that, you know, not everybody can afford to transition. Not everybody is going to be able yeah. to do of a whole bunch of this. So if you can put your mindset and start to control your mindset, then you're going to be able to function so much more better in society. And, and the thing is, is it's, the, you know, it's self-empowering. It's the well-being of who you are, what you're about. Um, you know, and even if you, ha- if you accept yourself for who you are and you can't fully transition to that, be happy where you can get to, you know, everybody's going to have limitations. I mean, yeah, I would love to have these wonderful hips and I would love to have all of this other stuff and all, you know, I can think of, you know, and many people can think that too. All of us, even to this point right now, when I look at it, uh, when we talk about it, yeah, okay, sure. Uh, A lot of the dysphoria is gone. Almost all of it's gone, you know, for you, for myself and yourself. Um, We've been become amazing in women we look very, very good. The great thing about hormones, it does some fantastic stuff. It does you know, do some fantastic stuff. Yes, highly uh, surprising, unexpected. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's another thing that I think that people have to realize as well that are considering transition. Hormones can do some amazing things. So when you come into this and you're looking you at have it, to be patient. Really, yeah. give it time, these things do not happen overnight especially with us older transitioners uh the older you are the little longer it does take to make these changes versus a 20 year old or a teenager 
or whatnot, that changes do happen a little more slowly the older you are. They will still occur, but you're going to have to be patient and just don't go rush out and have every freaking surgery uh, as quickly as you can because you don't think you're going to achieve results with just hormones. Right. And, you know, I get people that come to me and, I'm, you know, people have come to you for sure that are a little bit older. They look at themselves in the mirror and they go, there's no way I could transition. And yet if we, you and I were to post our before pictures, some people have seen our before pictures. You can't even tell they're the same individuals, not even. I know, I've, been, I've been accused of it. That's not me. There's oh, no way that can be you. Yeah, and I've had I've had that too. So, and you know, even though we look in the mirror, sometimes we can still see us, but that's mm-hmm. because we have this mental image still that's in the back of our head that we do see what we What's used to see. Honest, you know? it, yeah. Exactly right. Um, so anybody, it doesn't matter whatever age you are. If you really have the sense of feeling that you need to express, and you know who you are on the inside, and you you're truthful with yourself, you know. Don't beat yourself up to think that you can't obtain or achieve femininity because the definition of femininity is in the minds of the individual that is transitioning. And you, trust me, you're going to go a long ways even just on hormones. So don't think that you're going to need the mass facial surgery. Oh, yes, absolutely. All of that, okay? That's not true. Instead before patience is needed and required to be patient. Even, you know, cis girls take three, five, seven years to mature in puberty. No woman gets there overnight. No woman gets to her full potential physically in a year or two years of puberty. It takes time. You know, breast growth is three to five years in cis women. Uh, it's going to be at least that long for us, if yeah. not a little longer, because most of the time we're fighting testosterone too. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so don't ever give up. If you're at a certain age, don't think that you're too old to transition. Um, it's going to, like yeah. Tim says, it's going to take a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. uh, both of us are living proof. Uh, we both transitioned late in life, and, uh, you know, I'm 57. So, you know. yeah, and I'm just old. You're just old, yeah. I'm just. <laughs> I'm, I'm older than the hills and twice as dusty. Uh, oh, that's dusty! I tell you, I've been up some hills. So. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so that's our show for tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we really hope that we tr- covered enough that gives you enough ability and opportunity to understand and give you some options there that you can be able to try to control things the best you can. Um, we'll be doing more shows uh, potentially in the future in regards to this for you. Um, it's really going to be based on whether or not people come up with other uh, things that maybe we've missed or, or would like to talk about. So we'll be doing that for sure. Feedback is always welcome. Comments. Oh, and, yeah. And that's the big thing too. Um, you know, feedback is great. Comments are great. Um, we're on a multitude of platforms, iHeartRadio. Um, so feel free. We've got the trans talk. Uh, raw.com site that you can leave messages on, uh, get in touch with us via email. Uh, Facebook is also another great place that you can get a hold of us. So, anyway, that's uh, tonight's show. We uh, greatly appreciate you listening to us, and uh, we will see you on our next episode. 
Thanks for listening to Trans Talk Raw. This episode has been brought to you by transgenderlifecoaching.com. Please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Time for us girls to party. Join us again for our next episode of Trans Talk Raw. Thank you.